Oscar Poker. This is um, our second uh, podcast, and it's very nice doing this again. I wanted to just tell you, I really liked the sound of it, and you're completely uh, about last week's uh, debut episode. And I thought that um, I think that it really is a nice way to do it with your you putting on iTunes and just basically back to the old mm. the old grind. That's yeah. a, it's a nice feeling. I'm glad you're doing this. Oh, thanks, and I feel the same way. Before we start, I, I just am curious about your home thing because I was talking to. Yesterday I had a kind of water world day. I spoke to, I was inspired to write something about water world uh, because I was very much part of the uh, journalistic apparatus that was taking shots of that film off the making of it. Entertainment Weekly I, I wrote and reported and I definitely contributed to that vibe that it's uh, another disaster in the making. Yeah. And uh, by the time it opened, it, the, the the buzz on it was uh, had built up to a kind of a pitch where it was going to have to be pretty wonderful, not for people not to think negatively about it. And uh, back then, uh, the, in the in the sort of the gotcha journalism mm. era, the idea was to you know you focus in on something that seemed to uh, have a, lo- a promise of a lot of headlines, a lot, of, a lot of interest because of what kind of film it was, how much money was being spent, what the risk factor was, you know. It's, you know, talking about movies as sports events. Are they going to have a winning team? Are they going to make yeah. some touchdowns and all that stuff? Anyway, um, I went uh, to Costner and asked him if he wanted to say something. He got back to me and he gave me some... Wow. A couple of interesting quotes about it. And, uh, and also talked to Bruce Feldman, who was the director of publicity at Universal back then. And he gave me some recollections about how the press was and how and how um, you know it was basically an unfair situation hmm. so anyway so we were talking about and we just happened to speak about the high-def streaming systems that we have at our respective homes and I and I mentioned the Roku box and he's just as sold on the whole beauty of that device as as I am and hmm. I asked him if he had stopped whether he had basically was finished with Software with with Blu-rays. I mean, not not yeah, software, right. But, D- but, DVDs um, or C- yeah, yeah, physical media, and 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 he basically said that he's uh, he's become a, a huge Roku person, and and I asked him about Hugh Lupus. So what what do you um, have you ever been a, a physical media collector yourself? Have you ever? I was. I used to be. I mean, it's so funny because I went. I had a meeting with a stu- a person, a publicist from a studio, and they very kindly brought me a bag from the studio and inside was like seven DVDs of uh, of movies unwrapped and I thought 
That's so funny because <laughs> I just pick them up and I think, what can I do with these? I have to give them to somebody or throw them away, you know, because mm -hmm. there's a zero chance that I'm going to take one out and put it in the DVD <laughs> I watch everything online, everything. Okay. And yeah. I find it, if I want to watch it and I add it to my library, I haven't done the, the Roku thing yet, but it sounds intriguing. Um, I haven't gone there yet. I just have... How do you watch your movies online? You do it with what? With um, what anyway, software? I mean, this is what I love about kind of the modern world. Like, for instance, my daughter doesn't, she does not watch television. Never. Her generation, they don't. They don't turn on cable. I mean, a couple of them do, I'm sure, to watch reality shows or whatever. But it's more like anything that they want, they can either get via illegal download. Sorry, not my daughter. FBI, mm -hmm. if you're listening. <laughs> um, but, you know, just generally if, if they find it online or it's on YouTube <coughs> or, or it's on Hulu or this generation, they don't care as much, I don't think, about quality as they do quantity. Like, they're the kind of kids that would watch Lawrence of Arabia on their iPhone, for instance, you know. Like, they're not going to be weird about it. Some, some of them maybe, but for the most part, it's like, just, just stream us the content. Give us the direct content and, and we'll take it. Um, that's so primitive and, and well, it's it's it, probably a, it's well, it is a huge problem in Hollywood, obviously, because piracy. You know, a lot of these videos that that hit the streets in China, they're just from someone sitting there in, in a theater with a camera, filming the movie and throwing it down on a DVD and then selling it. You know, but and, I don't think anybody does that any longer. Do you? I, I believe that they the streaming sites, the yeah. illegal streaming sites, are are the way you mostly watch films illegally these days. Yeah. Do DVDs even count these days? Uh, I know in China, I'm sure they do in other countries, but here it's more like illegal downloading, yeah. I never do it. I mean, I'm just one of those people. It's not, I don't take a moral stand or anything. It's just a huge pain in the ass um, to do. Well, so, I think, I feel um, if you have any, any regard, if you're, if you're care about the quality of image, to not be care about whether it looks good or not, whether high, high def and Sharp images, the movie delivering the visual values, which can sometimes, you know, be very subtle. Uh, the lighting can be just so, and and to be indifferent to that is to be about as to be a caveman, is it? to be yeah. as, as possible. That's that's really a shame to hear. I that. think that that's the case. I mean, you'd have to check with people you know, but but as far as I can tell. The mm -hmm. quality, as in, I'm going to sit down with a beautiful Blu-ray and watch this movie. I feel like that's sort of older generation to them. I, I could be wrong. I could be just generalizing. And I'm sure we'll hear from people on Twitter saying, I'm 19 and I care about quality. I'm sure that's true. It doesn't have to be Blu-ray any, anymore. I think for, for me, I've noticed that the streaming uh, quality of high-def films is magnificent it's mm. not what it was even two or three years ago okay so what kind of a system do you have to have in order to have it not you know be lower quality to get the faster speeds you have to have a high def streaming application that you get your movies from and that for me has been all along the walmart application voodoo v-u-d-u which has the new stuff as well as all classic films it has a pretty sizable library mm. a, a even bigger library is Amazon, which you can, which the the application is on the Roku player, which I bought for a hundred bucks about a year and a half. All ago. right, what's the difference between watching? Because I am an Amazon member, and that's the majority of the way that I view movies is on Amazon. Um, yeah, my favorite way to view them, actually. But right, right. but the quality is a problem. So no, it's I, not. Not if you buy high def rents. Uh, there, there, it's fantastic. I mean, I get excellent 
Well, maybe you're telling telling me that the quality is a problem because of the kind of level of Wi-Fi in your place. Maybe, yeah. Because I pay a lot of I pay for the best rocket fuel uh, Wi-Fi I can get from from Time Warner. I'm trying to get rid of those guys, but that's what I pay for, mm. and it's it's sublime. It's really sublime. I mean, I cannot tell the, the I cannot tell the difference between uh, watching a high def version of um, some older film and the Blu-ray. There really wow. isn't a difference. Well, I have to do that. I know anytime I watch a movie on my Mac, um, it looks beautiful because yeah. the, the, they just have it down. Um, but I'm, I'm moving to Burbank, you know, in a yeah. couple of days, mm -hmm. and I, they don't have Time Warner there, surprisingly. So I had to switch to Charter, but the price drop was just incredible. Like, okay. I, I think I pay like 187 for Time Warner for TV and Internet, and then over there it's only 120 for both. So... I was I was really ready to drop TV altogether and just pay for internet, and then use these other systems to watch movies and stuff. Pay for them, mm -hmm. but I don't have to now because this their price is so cheap. Anyway, so that so that's what I, fi I finally bought it, and it's really made the difference. So I'm really not I'm off physical media. I have a, a personal uh, habit about going to to uh, you know to. Um, um, Amoeba and picking and looking at DVDs, but I'm always checking to see if they're online at the same time. And yeah, it's really uh, it switched over. But to be indifferent about the quality is 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 just tragic to have that attitude. Well, here's the funny yeah. thing: is that in our business, you know, we're we're always dealing with physical. You can't be off physical media entirely because you're going to be getting screeners, so you have to watch them. I mean, you have sure. to use your DVD player. Unless studios start, I, I love it when they send an online screener link, you know? Yeah. Um, I asked them to, to send me one for Diary of a Teenage Girl. I really wanted to see it. I, people kept pressuring me to see it. And finally, mm. I drove all the way out to the West Side Pavilion just to go see it so that I could finally end the drama. Okay. Um, but how nice would that have been to just have an online link? It sounds so spoiled and entitled to say, like, most people never get screeners of any kind, you know? So, um, yeah, that's pretty much over sending out screeners. That's, but not in the Oscar race. Mm -hmm. It's still going to be done that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, speaking of Waterworld, though, what is yeah, Kevin yeah. Costner's feeling? Is he bitter or is he, what, what is his, how did it settle in his mind over the years? Because obviously I'm old enough to remember the rollout for Waterworld. And Kevin Costner and some kind of people, like the, the public just wants to see fail. I don't know why. I don't know what it was about him. Was he too, did he get too popular too quickly? Did he get too successful too quickly? You know, what was it about? Was he too ambitious? Did he just bite off more than he could chew? Why did people want to take down Waterworld so badly? And you can imagine in this day and age with Twitter, how bad it would be. It would probably be 10 times worse than it was. I guess that back in, uh, when he, when his, when Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas, I know that a lot of people uh, decided they had it out for him because of the uh, popularity of that film, and they felt that Scorsese was dismissed unfairly. But that's the Academy. They're always going to do that. They're yeah. always going to go for the emotional uh, film rather than the better film. Although I think that Dance of Wolves is actually a pretty decent film. I, I never had any big issues with it. It's such um, an Academy movie. I mean, it's just right in there. We think, you know, Eagles fan sitting at the Hollywood Bowl. It's totally their kind of thing. But no, I agree with you. Like, it's not... The, the Oscars have a way of ruining everything. Like, it, it should have just been a great movie that people like, you know, in the boomer generation loved, you know, mm -hmm. saving the Indians. and Right. Um, but 
no, it turned into something much bigger. You're right. That there's stuff like that never gets forgiven. You know, even though Ordinary People is an excellent film with great performances, Robert Redford was never was never forgiven for for beating for beating Raging Bull. Yeah, <laughs> it's always Marty, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then Million Dollar Baby beat The Aviator. So. Yeah. Um, One thing I said to him during our exchange is that I, that I know very little directly about the making films, but I do know one thing, and that's even making something that's uh, passably good, or that is relatively decent, or that at least hangs together in a competent, professional way. Even that, just that, is incredibly difficult. It's no yeah. easy thing at all. To make something exceptional that is um, a, a work of art, a masterpiece, film that I think is one of the best westerns ever made, Open Range, which he directed, and mm, yeah. you know, Field, Field of Dreams, and JFK, and all the other films that he's done that are excellent. Uh, I don't even know what that takes, but I do know that even making, even being competent at it is a very, very hard thing to do, given all the people that are with their fingers in the pie, you know, all the way it gets mushed down and everything. Yeah. But, um, Those good-looking actors, they have a hard time of it. Um, Warren Beatty, you know, with Reds, like, that movie should have won... All day long, it should have won Best Picture over Chariots of Fire. Now, that's one nobody can argue with. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's rough. just because Beatty was too pretty, you know, and in a way, Costner was always too pretty. He was too pretty to be as kind of ambitious as he was. Like, I think that the public would have accepted him just in the leading man role, you know, but, but writer-director and star of his own movies and... You mm -hmm. know, they always gave him so much shit about his naked ass and um, dances with wolves, and then no, that was Robin Hood. Oh, is it Robin Hood? Yeah, I think that they always see him as a. Um, no, it's in Dances with Wolves too. I thought no. Is it okay? Um, you know, mm -hmm. they see it as like a vanity project. If you're making yourself look too good, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and they there it's a male dominated group, and they tend to I think there's a certain amount of resentment for men who are. Yeah. really good looking like that who also turn into writer directors sometimes you know mm, uh -huh. obviously they didn't care about george clooney doing doing that but, yeah um, yeah i don't know he was uh, he's a he's a pretty uh pretty nice guy about everything and he he knows that it's just it was a very difficult thing he's very proud of the work that he had to do he had to stand up to a lot of people it was a lot not an mm. easy thing and it was a tough situation but between his comments and what bruce feldman was saying and and also i I have not seen Waterworld in 20 years, and because I happened to read an anniversary piece that came out a couple of weeks ago, I missed the actual, the actual um, anniversary is July 28th, Yeah, but I missed it when it was happening. Uh, but I felt, you know, like this is part of what I was up to. I was the, one of those people uh, not exactly helping things as far as that film was concerned. And apart from the fact that it's not a great film, but it's a, it's a good one. It's an engaging film. It's, it's a respectable film. It's, it has a dream and a concept, and it does try to uh, to uh, to deliver a parable about about climate change. And I tell you something, yeah. it's never seemed more right on the money in terms of that. Like it, yeah. the sea level is rising, mm -hmm. and and it would be taken differently maybe today. Um, but boy, it cost 175 million back in 1995. That's a lot of fucking money. That's a lot of money now for a in movie. today's dollars. It translates to over 300. Yeah, and it only made 88. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, you know... It well, got... Oh, but it, let's, let's understand something clearly, though. And this was a, a, a Michael Fleming piece. He went into this whole thing. Warner World came out ahead. It did not lose money. It, it mm. made money. It didn't make tons of money. It wasn't a massive success, but it wasn't a wipeout at all. If you look at it with foreign sales, 
Um, it made and, and yeah, and DVD was really big back then. You might remember. Yeah. And there was a lot of revenue streams, and it did balance out. It's all, it's all in black and white. Yeah, and nowadays with everything being such like these big special effects movies, it might it might have done better today. Mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. It's hard to say. I I think the internet would have been as hard on it if it had cost that much money. You know, when people start talking about the money, mm -hmm. even though nowadays they hardly do because movies make so much money. Yeah. But um, but somehow it, 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 it always hurts a film when it's about the money. And funnily enough, in two years from then would be uh, Titanic and Costner um, and, and Jim Cameron was getting a lot of that Costner heat. Like people were saying that Titanic was going to be his water world and that yes. he right. was going to ruin his folly. career. Yeah. Cameron's folly. And he did exactly what Costner did. He stood up to them. He fought for it. He, he believed in it. Uh -huh. And, you know... <sighs> His film just, you know, shot right to the top and it was a huge success. So it's funny, it can go either way, I guess. And there's a certain contingent of press people who will, you ask them about Titanic, the instantaneous response is, oh my God, was that film overrated? Oh my God, what was it doing yeah. in the best picture thing? It's terrible to watch. Well, that's, look, it's a, uh, it's, it's a very conventional uh, poor boy meets rich girl romantic thing. It's not a profoundly great film, but... I've said over and over again, the last half hour of yeah, that film, last 40 minutes, certainly the last 20 minutes when it's all over and all the mournful, melancholy stuff starts to kick in and then the death sequence at the end and that amazing dream sequence where she goes and all the dead people are waiting mm. for on the staircase. That was one of the most transcendent things I've ever seen in a, in a major yeah. motion picture. I feel I like it, it was, uh, to me, the best film ever made and the worst film ever made all at once, like together. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but for me, the movie really hit, starts hitting its stride when it, the ship hits the iceberg. Or when it hits the iceberg, that to me is like Jim mm -hmm. Cameron at his absolute best. All that yeah. stuff, the way it happens, that whole sequence of events. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the way they're they're the, they're pouring water and they're trying to cool things off. They're trying to steer the ship. All that action together mm -hmm. is just so incredible. That's why when I watch that movie, half the time I'm just like slapping my forehead like, oh, that's the worst <laughs> line. And then half the time I'm just like, wow, that is yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, anyway. That was a, uh, but he's, uh, th and that'll be, uh, you know, remembered. And, you know, I've, I've watched it uh, like maybe eight or nine times. I, I think it's a completely, but there's a certain type of critic like uh, James Rokey, those guys. <laughs> They hate it, and they will never give any quarter. Even even the last half hour, they'll say it stinks. Yeah, I oh, mean, I, oh. I, and I absolutely remember that year because I it was the first time I started to pay attention to the Oscar race, and I remember um, it was all about L.A. Confidential. It had totally taken the critics by storm. It was considered the best film of the year. Yeah, it was winning every critics award, and and Titanic was still being thought of as is it gonna is it gonna be a success or is it gonna be a failure. Its box office wasn't like today. It didn't open big. Um, it right. opened yeah. kind of modest, and then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And at some point, everybody was like, "Okay, this is ridiculous. Titanic's going to win the Best Picture Oscar." But it wasn't one of those things where at the beginning of the year people all thought it was going to win. They were really thinking *L.A. Confidential* was going to win, uh, which is really hard to think of now, obviously, because at some point *Titanic* was just that movie that you could not deny its awards. It was too big. Let me read you something that I wrote about a year and a half, about two year, a year ago. <clears throat> uh, the happiest Christmas moment of my adult life was at a party at Robert Towns' home in mid-November of 1997. 
Town had hired three professional singers to roam around his large Pacific Palisades abode and sing Christmas carols in perfect <laughs> harmony. All of them dressed in Dickensian garb, such as top hats, shawls, bonnets, gloves, and hoop skirts. Town's home smelled of cinnamon, turkey, cigar smoke, mm. tur turkey gravy, stuffing, eggnog, glorious. Curtis Hansen was there. Oh. Well, so, so was Jerry Bruckheimer. Everyone was buzzing about Hansen's L.A. Confidential and what seemed like a good chance of winning the Best Picture Oscar. Mm. And then some guy in a, in a conversation we were all standing around told Hansen he'd just seen Titanic. It, quote, it really works, the guy said. And I think on some level, and I felt badly about this, Hansen knew at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and telling, you know, an inkling of what was to come. The dashing of his dream. And that guy, I didn't say in this item, but that guy was Philip Noyce, who was, who was the one who had just seen oh, it. Oh, no kidding. Hey, listen, Jeff, I'm going to be really disappointed in you as a friend if you don't write your memoirs. You really should. <laughs> you have so many great stories to tell, all the best stories. And I know a lot of the things you can't tell that are too private, but um, but they're so great. Like that Jack Nicholson story I love. And I mean, just you have so many wonderful stories like that, that just that one. You should really do it. Seriously consider writing them. You get it published. In other words, you haven't written about something unless a book company puts it on paper and it goes into book soup on Sunset Boulevard well, do you really, and Borders. Do you really want to like leave this earth without a record of that? You have your blog and people can always read that if it stays online, but is there a physical record of you, of your history, you know, this great life, life you've lived and all the experiences you've had? I mean, I think everybody should in some way try to find a way to leave something behind. Mm. So, in other words, being online, having written, as you have, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of words about this stuff is essentially what you're saying, an ethereal, uh, there's nothing solid about it. It could vaporize, it could go away, there's nothing solid. Yeah. It has to be printed on something. I think so. Okay. And I think your memoirs is a good idea. I mean, I'm, people keep telling me to write them, um, something like that. And I have a couple of people interested in maybe talking to me about something like that. I don't know if it'll be about what I do online, but um, mm -hmm. uh, I think that you should, because you're someone with a lot of great stories to tell. And your, your readers know that every time you, you know, dig down and tell one of these stories, they love it, you know. Mm -hmm. You just have a lot, you have an engaging way of, of um, telling them, and they're really interesting, and they cover decades, and it follows film history, you know, Oscar history, media history. You went from print yeah. to finding a way to work within some movie site, movie poop shoot or whatever, and then your own personal blog. Yeah. Mr. Showbiz initially, followed by Reel.com, followed by... Uh, Kevin Smith for two years and then yeah. finally thrown uh, adrift and having to struggle to survive, I created Hollywood Elsewhere yeah. in August of 04. I know, July. and a total entrepreneur in that way and to this day selling ads and making your own way as opposed to, you know, being part of a corporate enterprise. I think it's great. I think you should think about it. Mm. I'll cut this out if you want me to. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I, 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 I do think about the, uh, about digital being something that that it does not really exist it's just data it's just binary it's mm. numbers it's it's code it's not really real unless it's but the, but i um I, I could easily bang something out i really could but yeah. you know i always thought that your 
the great another great book idea for you would be Conversations with Warren Beatty and sort of a multiple decade long parallel lives between the two of you and the conversations you've had. I also think that would be a good idea. If you know any publisher friends, you should pitch them these ideas. Um, you might get some kind of great advance. Who knows? Everybody's got at least one decent book in them. Yep. Everybody does. Absolutely so. agree with that. Yeah. And I certainly, you know, when you talk about the, the suffering years before it all started to come together, there's a lot of that, you know. Yeah. I mean, it, really, how... it really only started to feel musical for me until the 90s. That's when things started to really feel like things were really rocking and happening. What was your very, very first reaction when you saw the Sharon Stowe um, black and white nude photos in Harvard's Bazaar? She looks pretty great for her age, but I was, I'll tell you, I was stopped a little bit by the fact that she just doesn't look like this actress that I've known for so many years since the late 80s. She's, her face is, she's, she's, begin, she's done the Renee Zellweger thing. She's yeah. no longer that person, and I'm just... It's a tough, like I said in your comment section, it's a tough line to walk because, you know, you don't, as a woman, you know, like I, you, you think Hillary Clinton is gross for her baggy eyes, but I actually admire her for going out in public and like not caring about that because I look at my own eyes and I'm like, God, I could just go in and get a little bit here or there and they'd look so much better. But what if they don't look better? What if they look worse? You know, so it's a weird kind of a risk you take in ruining your face like meg ryan ruined her face i think Lindsay she didn't, Lohan, she didn't do it wasn't her eyes because she went for the trout lips which is what uh, some of yeah. the people say if that makes you look younger because you're so if you have blowjob lips it makes you look like you're you're real hot and everything right but that's what killed it going for the trout lips that's well, a sign that you're you know. yeah and um Lindsay lohan did that to herself and she didn't even need to when she was like 25 she did some weird shit with her lips and her teeth and it just mm -hmm. ruined her face so, um, but no, I, I didn't, I don't really look at Sharon Stone and think that. I would like to see what she actually looks like, you know, because at the same time, Christy Brinkley's like 60 and she looks great. Like whatever they've done to her face, you can't tell that she's had plastic surgery, but you know she must if she's 60 and she looks like that. She looks 20, you know. But um, so yeah. I feel bad for the ones where they need to stay in the game and they can't because of the way they look. Sharon Stone's obviously needs a job, you know. But sure. I was more disappointed in her quote about being calling on the sex card and then and then calling on the sex card. You know, I think that um, women don't should get to a point where they don't need to do that anymore. Or or I'm not saying she shouldn't, but she shouldn't say if I was going around being like I was in Basic Instinct, like everybody would think that was bad. And then here she is, like all hat nude in this photo shoot. You know, she does exactly what she said she wasn't going to do. And poor Renee Zellweger, you know. But, um, but then I, insisting that they even even haven't they have not even had surgery, it's right. just you know from good nutrition and and working out and everything. No. It's it's a very bizarre thing. If you're gonna do it, you might just own it and say yeah. Totally. I mean Jane Fonda owned up to it. Yeah, I've had work done. Yeah, but uh, she she didn't you know she didn't try to hide from. No, and she, in fact she was very helpful with her advice to women. You know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. That's what women need to hear. You know. Because, you know, it's fine and well to say never do plastic surgery, but it's also another thing to look at your face and then say, okay, well, I'm just going to recede quietly into the background. I'm never mm. going to work again. I'm always going to have to play the old lady, right. you know. But she was like, you know, do this, don't do that. You know, mm. do your neck, 
Right. Don't do your lips or whatever. You know. So yes. Don't do the lips. That's the whole thing. That's like mm -hmm. taking out an ad, saying, you know, I've gotten to that age where I'm scared, and my plastic surgeon has told me that trout lips will make me look sexier. Here I am. Here's my new trout lips. What yeah. do you think? It's awful. It's right. astonishing. I mean, I think for actresses, it's a really dangerous game to play. Like, I love watching British television and British films because the women are allowed to age and still be kind of sexy and, and vital. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, they're not always forced to do plastic surgery in order to work. And over here, it's kind of like this weird, surreal thing where how can you, you know, how can you get work if you look like that, if you look that freaky? And, you know, we've seen people all around town here who just look, mm -hmm. cra you know, cra they look like monsters. They look like aliens because of their faces. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I can't begrudge them that. I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to do anything. I might, you know, if I really can't stand it. If I have, if I had Hillary Clinton's um, the eyes, I would definitely have gotten that taken care of. It's not what the fact that everybody gets baggy eyes, your, your eyelids, everything starts to sag. If that's okay. We think we, we, but I, it's the metaphor of having to contemplate that. That's why it's not so much what other people might think about you or whether you're going to be able to attract women or attract men or whatever. It's really the metaphor of it. It's incredibly depressing yeah. to consider the in, in, unmistakable metaphor of the of the of the features starting to give way to 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 age and biology, and it's as long as it's done with uh, some degree of subtlety, and not you know in other words you know so that it doesn't look like you've obviously had something done, I don't see what the problem is. I think it's just like having your brushing your teeth or getting braces, yeah, dyeing your hair, yeah, yeah. I agree, but that to me that the risk of it is losing your 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 ability to be an expressive actress. Like that to me is the problem. When people are staring at your face going, what the fuck happened to her face? Then you've really gotten yourself into a pickle. You're and talking about Nicole Kidman. You're or or Nicole Kidman or God, any of them. Like uh, I just, every time I see one on TV, oh, you know, beautiful Madeline Stowe, who was so beautiful in the early days. And I understand it must be hard to be that beautiful, you know, but, and to age. But boy, did she wreck her face. She wrecked wow. it. She just looks okay. weird. Um, mm -hmm. but, and every time I see someone like that, it always makes me feel sad. But I know that I wouldn't even be seeing them if they hadn't done the work. They wouldn't mm -hmm. even get the job, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a catch-22 for women. And Hillary, people dog her about everything. So if she even got, if she got that done and people noticed it, they would never shut up about it. It would just be, become the whole thing of her campaign, you know. Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, it's a can't-win situation, but maybe we should use this to segue into Best Actress. Fine. Now, you have done um, uh, some work on, on likely Best Actress uh, nominees, and if you could perhaps just review the ones that you have decided are probably, I mean, the, the, the odds seem to heavily favor them, and then I could maybe throw in some comments as you go down your list. How about okay. that? Okay, so here's what we have. Um, right, I, I, you and I both agree that the two actresses that are really going to be dominating the race by year's end, we think, are yeah. Carrie Mulligan for Suffragette and Jennifer Lawrence for Joy. This based on, for Mulligan, it seems stupid to base a performance or you know on, on just a trailer, but she seems so great in it that it's really hard to imagine that she won't be one of the strongest contenders, given her, her history um, of performances and the fact that she has never won and she's the lead and um, 
You're talking about Carrie now. Carrie right? Mulligan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Jennifer Lawrence, you know, hits it out of the park almost every time, and especially when she's working with David O. Russell. Right. And so it seems like she's going to be definitely a shoe in with Joy. Um, I can't imagine it bombing. She just has a way of, of making things funny, you know. I think that that movie has such a great feeling to it because of the uh, idea of a, of a woman who uh, has no real means of support other than she's plucky and she's working hard. I, my heart goes out to any person that has to struggle and find their way uh, to, to take care of themselves and to, and to provide for kids. And, it, and I, you know, I think we all do on some level. There's something very endearing about a person who's uh, good at, 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 uh, at, at keeping, at keep trying and, and, and being plucky and being inventive and, and being, if necessary, argumentative and contentious, but they get it done, you know, they get out there. And I just, uh, you know, it just got to me when I saw the trailer. Yeah, and I'm excited that he's finally giving over one of his movies to her since she steals the movies that she's been in of his. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like with Jennifer Lawrence, I think she's, um, I think that we've never really seen what she can do. And because she's never really given a whole film. I mean, Winter's Bone, you can see how great she is in that. And I'm, so I'm really looking forward to just her being the center and just mm -hmm. seeing how far she can take it, especially with him. He's so good with actors, you know. Yeah. He works so closely with them, especially women. Um, I, I think it's just going to be fantastic. I'm, I'm lo really looking forward to that one. Yeah. Um, sure. And then, you know, you have a bunch of films that have been seen and haven't been seen. We're pretty sure that Kate Blanchett's going to get in for Carol um, because Rooney Mara is going to be running supporting. That's, and that's, that's the way it's supposed to go, as I, as I understand it. Yeah. And uh, I can't imagine that the, anybody would want to say, well, she's had her Oscar for the Woody film, so let's leave. You know, she's still awfully good, and it's a really mm. good film. So, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Okay, that's so that's, that's three that we think are pretty, pretty good chance. And so then I haven't seen Brooklyn, um, but I know you have, and, and that's yeah. Sir, Saoirse Ronan. It, I believe she carries the whole movie, right? She's in every scene, and it's one of those... Um, performances that does not, it's not a Jennifer Lawrence type performance at all. It's not, uh, it doesn't have that distinction right. that Carrie Mulligan brings to, you know, like a period piece like um, uh, Manning Crowd, which I thought was really such a well put together film. And yeah. I really admired the way that she came up with a the kind of a feminist, uh, 19th century feminist character, you know, yeah. that was, uh, but uh, she, but this is a, um, uh, uh, one of those holdback performances um, on the, on Sersha. Uh, I think it's pronounced Sersha, right? Right. And um, and so there's nothing uh, particularly flamboyant, but it's not a uh, a film that um, will make you feel starved for nutrition. It really is quite a uh, you know a, a, a profoundly touching touching film. But it's not. A, I would I wouldn't quite call it a great film, but it's an awfully nicely done thing, and it feels genuine. Yeah. And, it is, you know, it's a period thing, 50s, and it's, it's uh, it'll, it'll get you. you so know? that's tough. That's a tough one to call. Um, but I think that she has a good chance. I would put her at number four because... Why did you just say it's tough? Because I think what it's I just tough when, because it's, it's not a showy performance, and it might get replaced by more showier performances possibly but what, what it has going say about us as a culture and you and yeah, I, I know. well you know the oscar race but i think that um i think two things it has going for it one brooklyn's probably going to be a best picture nominee um mm -hmm. 
and two, it's Fox Searchlight, and they'll push it really hard. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that she has a really good shot. I would put her at number four right now. Um, okay. I, I don't say to win, because I don't think Kate Blanchett can win for Carol. I think, well, you never say never. It just depends on how well that movie's received overall. Um, so it's hard to even pick a winner at this point. I'm not one of those people that can pick that. Like your friend, the cinemaholic, who put Julianne Moore um, for... Freehold to win and and for mm -hmm. actress to win back to back is is almost impossible. It's it's the harder than a film to win without a director because it's only happened twice, and one of those times was Catherine Hepburn. So, uh, it's just forget it. But she might get nominated. I don't know. I haven't seen Freehold, so we have to keep her on the list. Isn't Someone... there something strikes you a little uh, manipulative, a little bit cloying? Uh, a woman. A gay, a gay woman who's uh, ailing and, and failing and, and, and not long for this world because of cancer and trying desperately to, you know, work the system so that she can help her partner, another younger woman, uh, be cared for. That's, I know it's all from a documentary. It all happened. It's true. But you take it out of the documentary realm and you make it into a thing with actresses delivering performances and lines and this, that sort of thing. It starts to feel... It's, it's, it's kind of a rigged game. It doesn't feel honest. Isn't that funny? But it, that's the way it strikes me. It strikes yeah. me as, as, as more of a, like reaching out to try and appeal to people's heartstrings rather than the integrity of it. Uh, I shouldn't right. say. No, but see, the, it's, um, problem, it, it's problem is Carol because it's, that's a movie that it's going to compete with. If it's a two-hander with Ellen Page and Julianne Moore, yeah. Carol is going to have more heat heading in because it's Todd Haynes and because the Weinstein Co. is pushing it and because Rooney Mara's performance is, is just, you know, incredible. And Kate Blanchett's great, too. Of course, she's always great, as we've talked about. Rooney Mara was the one who right. was really surprising in the part. And it's just, it's going to have production value that, that uh, Freehold doesn't have. It's going to have the costumes and the art direction, you know. It's this beautiful film to watch. So it's going to yeah. completely blow freeheld out of the water probably and people will put them in the same group because they're both you know they're both lesbian, lesbian romances one right. has a tragic thing one has a less tragic thing but they're both two women in love with each other right right and i have a feeling that the you, you have an aversion to the word lesbian it's not it's, it's, it's <laughs> i an never okay liked word. that word it's like it. vagina i don't understand <laughs> there's some words a uterus it's like <laughs> i just don't like these words lesbian it's always, I've always thought of it you, as a You crush. feel that about the word lesbian the way I feel about the word penis, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I cannot stand that word. Yeah. I hate that word. I mean, I really hate it. I know. There's some that just like, ugh, make my skin crawl, and lesbian yeah. is one of them. Always. Yeah. It always has been. I don't know why, but... Um, so... I, because I use the word lesy a couple of times, <laughs> lesy... That makes me a homophobe in the view of Glenn Kenny, you know. Oh, right. Well, you're not supposed to use the word lesie. <laughs> I, I, listen, I, I was in a gay bar in Manhattan in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, a couple times with some journalist friends. Lesie is totally common in the gay community back then, at least. You know, I mean, it's just considered uh, uh, loose, uh, friendly, colloquial speech. It's, oh, God, my daughter... She just gives me the, you know, the, the terrible, like, dagger stares when I use the terms that my friends and I used in our generation, like dyke and lesbo. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
if we say, Wait. oh, she's just a big lesbo, like, my mm-hmm. daughter says, mom, like, she just gets so angry. <laughs> in, in, the, in the view of your daughter's generation, there are no lesbians. There are no gay people. There's just people. And there's whatever persuasions might be manifesting, whatever culture or group. It's just something you don't talk about. Or you say LGBTQ. You know, you say that as a way to, that's what I do. It's sort of like African-American, like I've, I've trained myself to just say, around her anyway, mm-hmm. my old friends from you know, the old days, mm-hmm. I can talk how I talk and they're not going to get offended because they just know that that's how we talked back then. I'm not saying it, I would never say it to someone or out loud to hurt anybody or offend anyone. I would never want to do that. I just, with my friends, my old friends, you know, um, mm-hmm. we can say that stuff and it's that we know that it doesn't mean that we're bigoted or you know trying to offend people my daughter yeah you can't say you can't even really say oh she's black <laughs> yeah that's what i mean they don't if you make any uh, uh, ob- simple observation uh, about a person you know like i may i talked like i was in a bar and i talked to this black guy that's a racist thing right away because you you observe that the man's skin is of a different pigmentation than yours in other words you can't say red-haired guy you can't say fat guy, you can't say tall guy, because that, that's discriminatory, because what are you trying to say, there's something wrong with being tall? No, I'm just saying he is tall, or he is very short, or he has fair skin with red hair. No, you can't say any of that stuff. Not this really. Is... Well, red hair, I think you can say, but I was watching Stand By Me the other day. That's from 1986, and a great movie, I think. It's really wonderful. River Phoenix is in it. He's just fantastic in it. But... What's so fantastic about that movie? Once the kids get, they find a body, isn't that it? It's or just sweet. I mean, it, it. you have to be kind of a fan of Stephen King's sort of world, and I am. I'm a big fan of his world. I love his storytelling, and I love the worlds he creates and the characters and stuff. But I tell you something about Stephen King. His books and his old films, they're so un-PC. Like, they just are not politically correct. That movie has, like, fat jokes. You know, every mm-hmm. kind of joke you could imagine thrown mm-hmm. in. Um, but, like, because, yeah, back then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the way things are now where everybody's offended by everything. Everything. You know? You know, Somebody there's a, um, is there's offended. There's a scene in, in the 1938 Robin Hood, which is, I have a blue on Blu-ray, and... Uh, do you remember Alan Hale? He played Little John, mm. the actor Alan Hale. Yeah. Well, he was a portly fellow. Uh, I wouldn't call him fat at all. I would say that he had a little bit of a gut, you know, because Little John, that was the joke of that, of that little expression because he wasn't little. He was a man of some girth, right? But he certainly wasn't uh, problematically heavy or obese. He's just, you know, a little, little ample, you know. And they were, there's a whole scene in which Errol Flynn and, and Will Scarlett and some of the other men of Sherwood Forest are, are just making fun of this guy. You know, little extra portions when you eat. Right. You, know, you, lo- you like your food, obviously. You know, they just go, they won't stop. And the guy just takes it. And, and it's like, guys, by, by 2015 standards, that guy is almost felt by the standards. No, of- I know. <laughs> and he is getting ribbed mercilessly in a good-natured way, but they won't stop. And it's a, it, uh, I'm going to capture it one of these days and put it on the site because it's amazing how the culture... Well, in Stand By Me, there's a, there's a story within a story because the lead character is a writer. And the whole story is about this guy named Lardass who goes to a pie-eating contest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he gets so mad at people making fun of him that he eats all the pies and then he starts vomiting on everybody. 
Oh, great. Okay. And Lardass gets his revenge. But, like, you know, the thing about making it so that you can't ever say those words or can't ever write those words is it greatly limits storytelling. Like, you can't, mm -hmm. he could never write Stand By Me. You could never paint that world or, right. you know, write the Lardass story or anything because it would have to be everything's okay, everybody's okay, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it just takes a lot of conflict out. It takes a lot of um, point of view. Right. Um, all right, so moving on, we have Brie Larson from Room. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there, but what I do know is that she still has an uncashed check with uh, that last movie she was in where she came so close to getting recognition for it, um, Short Term 12. So she's kind of due for some major recognition. I agree. That was a good, that was a good um, performance. But, uh, but, uh, but my instinct um, tells me that there is something uh, probably difficult about um, Room. It's just called Room, right? R-O-O-M. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just something, uh, a, little, a little vibration I got from that film. I, I just don't like the... I don't like the concept of a of, of of being imprisoned by a monster and and then you escape and I don't know it's just it just doesn't look like something I particular I don't it's not a place I want to visit you know yeah like, you well, know, I hear sounds, that but she, I think she I mean they make it clear in the trailer that she gets out you right, know right, with her kid yeah. so it's maybe it's going to be one of those kind of things where you're just cheering her on as she gets out. Hopefully it's not one of those things where you have to sit there and watch all the shit go down. Like remember that awful incest movie we watched in Cannes with the father? Oh and my the... god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that movie was like, can we just show her getting in? Do we really have to show her getting it on with her dad? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and throwing up every five seconds. Wasn't that Israeli film? Or what, who, where was that from exactly? I'm trying to remember the. Uh, it went on for some time, and and it was pretty grotesque. David Gordon Green, his natural inclinations are to, you know, kind of make indie-like films. He doesn't. He when he does his comedies, uh, he breaks out a little bit, or the or the the form, I guess, breaks him out a little bit, but. His natural inclination is to be a little more subdued and kind of indie-ish in tone, and 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 this is about political consultants. Do you know about what our brand of is crisis? Is yeah, I do. Um, I think that what I why I have Sandra Bullock on here is that you mm -hmm. know she's just one of those actresses that people really like, and she she's like um, Brian Cranston for Trumbo. Like you just mm -hmm. can't underestimate him because he's so well liked in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do agree that when I looked at it and I saw that it was kind of a comedy, that it could kind of go either way. You know, if she's playing a royal bitch, mm -hmm. like really hardcore, then they might ob obviously give her give her recognition for that. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if it's just her kind of, you know, passing dry lines and being funny, mm -hmm. she probably won't get included mm -hmm. because it's too competitive it's not like it's as competitive as the best actor race, but it's it's competitive enough. You know what I mean? Because even once you get past Carrie Mulligan, Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, Brie Larson, then you have Emily Blunt and Sicario, you have Marion Cotillard and Macbeth, you have Lily Tomlin and Grandma, you have maybe Elle Fanning in About Ray, um, and Belle Palawi in Diary of a Teenage Girl. <clears throat> so. You know, those are all really competitive roles. I think that given the sort of dire nature of all of the performances, something like Sandra Bullock or Lily Tomlin could stand out because, well, then there's Joy. Joy is going to be funny. 
So she might uh, take the comedy slot. You know, I don't think they're going to have two. But um, but I think Sandra Bullock has as good a chance as anybody to get in there. You know, just given her stature in the industry mainly. The um, what is um, I mean I've seen um, Dyer of a Teenage Girl, and you think because she's uh, it's the metaphor of a young woman who has found her who finds a, a, a kind of a strength in her illustrations and her and and being you know kind of growing past being the the younger impressionable uh, girl who's sleeping with the older guy who's the mother's boyfriend all that stuff I just don't, don't see anything particularly riveting about that film at all I mean I, I actually know. did not like the movie one bit I agree with that I just I guess I kind of just wanted more of the artist and less of the I want to get fucked <laughs> you know it's like so uninteresting to me plus she she looked like she was like 11 you know like those scenes, like maybe it's erotic for some people that it's a 30 year old and it's a 15 year old, but those were the least erotic scenes I think I've seen in any movie. Like there was nothing sexy about them, you know? They were just icky. Yeah. Like the whole thing was icky. I agree. So it, it, I don't know. it was not yeah. sexy. That was certainly not the, uh, the, the impact, and, this, and it probably wasn't him. That wasn't the intention. But here's my call. I'm saying definitely Carrie Mulligan. I can't imagine Jennifer Lawrence not being in it. I have doubts, given that I don't think that our brand is public, is a uh, Academy Awards season type movie. I think it might be an interesting movie. I hear it's kind of, uh, should it be out this year? Should it be out in 16? You know, it's one of those films, from what I gather. I don't know anything. But I know that David Gordon Green doesn't make uh, Academy movies. He makes uh, IFP Spirit Awards. He makes that kind of film. You know, that's more his want. Um, Brie Larson is... Um, I don't believe it. I don't believe it until I see it. I mean, it's maybe, you know, but uh, absolutely uh, Saoirse Ronan and absolutely Kate Blanchett and, um, and uh, Elle Fanny, I think it's, it's just, it seems like too cloying and too, uh, too uh, you know, topical and to do a transgender thing. It just seems, give me a break. I mean, how many of these movies do we have to embrace or we're bigots? I mean, you know, we have to go, we have to give Eddie Redmayne his nomination or we're bigots. Doesn't matter. He's probably going to be very good. You know that he's a very. I mean, I I believe his the way he looks in um, in those photos that they don't want you to post, even though they they've made them. But for some reason, they're waiting. I guess until Toronto to let those posters out for the Danish girl. But you, you can you can sense that you know we don't we know that uh, that the director of the Danish girl. Uh, um, ta uh, why did it just why did I just blank on that? But I really think we're just dealing with this handful of actresses, and, and the only way that those top five, let's say the top five right now are going to be Mulligan, Lawrence, um, Blanchett, those are lo seem locked to me, uh -huh. and they're, they're going to have to be really bad movies for them not to get in. So that leaves you with two. I'm going to say Brie Larson for the fourth, only because... I believe in the publicity team behind her, and I think they'll push it hard, and I think she'll be really good, and I don't think they would be pushing it if she wasn't good. So, And then the fifth one is totally open, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was somebody like Lily Tomlin or Sandra Bullock or somebody like that, a funny performance, or it could be somebody totally out of the blue that we're not even thinking of in a movie we haven't even heard of or seen. I think that Lily Tomlin's performance in Grandma is actually pretty good. I, was, I came away from that film feeling pretty... 
content and felt, well, this is a good one for her. I'm glad, but I, I don't yeah. think the movie is great. It's just a, it's a good film, you know. Yeah, it's not it's, a great film. Right, I agree. It's not great. She's good in it though. Yeah, I just don't know it, why women have to be, always be so mean. <laughs> <laughs> movies, she, it's like. Well, that's that's the interesting part. She's cantankerous. She, she's right. not exactly uh, her people skills are not what they could be. Right, right. No, I know, but it just seems like it always it kind of goes in the opposite direction of like if they want to. But but good, you know, I'm not going to complain about this guy, you know, Paul Weitz, who made this movie, who wrote and directed a movie about mm -hmm. Lily, you know, based on Lily Tomlin, or you know, inspired by her. Hats off to him, you know, all we ever do, all I ever do is complain about how women never get lead roles, and especially mm -hmm. older women, so he absolutely came through in that score, and I'm never going to criticize him for it, I, I, you know, I'll support the movie, and I hope she gets a nomination, she'll get a Golden Globe nomination for sure. Do you think that Amy Schumer has, uh, has really become a kind of an instant movie star because of what she did with um, Trainwreck, because of the writing yeah. and the quality of the performance and all that? I think she's actually bigger than that, even. Like, she's she's in her own weird way kind of an activist. Like, she's become somebody people are listening to about gun control and, you know, uh, casting and feminism. She's she's a revolutionary. I wish, yeah. I wish more women had balls like that, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I love oh, she's really she's in, the, in the stellar uh, level, and I, I think that she's... Uh, um, I have never felt uh, fallen for somebody uh, so completely because of their the, the spark, you know, the, the engine inside them as I have for her. And, uh, uh, I feel the same way, and she, you know, she seems so young. Like I don't know how old she is, but she's thirty-three. Yeah, I that's think. that's pretty young. I mean, to be such a trailblazer. I just like how she's she kind of laughs at at the rules, you know, a little bit, and she kind of makes up her own. Like, she's not really listening to anyone who tells her you can't do this or you can't do that, and that's exciting to watch a woman do. That's mm -hmm. Men do it all the time, but right. women are so afraid of, you know, being thought of badly that they a lot of times just don't even say that stuff, and she, but she does. She just goes right for it, you know. You've been listening to episode 105 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. And the bumper music was Suffragette City by David Bowie and Girls Your Age by Transviolet. Thanks for listening. Seventeen running from innocence like it's a lion Nipping on my heels but I'm young so I run her Jailbait baby I'm men in their twenties Cupid shooting arrows but I'm cold so I outgun her Talking fast, talking dirty He tells me that I'm hot So I tell him that I love him And he says, girls, your age Never mean what they say I've got a renegade heart And it's screaming his name But then it beats like you've got time to
Oh, oh, oh.